uh, turning tonight to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse 21. The words of Christ to the rich young ruler. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. My friends, we're looking tonight at this account of the rich uh, young ruler and his encounter uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he first came to Christ, he came running. He was excited. He was keen. He had a question burning upon his heart that he wanted to ask Christ, what shall I do that I may obtain, that I may have eternal life? He was desperate and he knew that Christ could give him the answer. But sadly, when you look at the end of this encounter, we see him, instead of leaving, you'd have thought he had left after that meeting with Christ, with a spring in his step, with joy in his heart, he's found the way to heaven, he's found the way to God. Instead, he left the Lord sad and grieving, and his head was down, and he, were, he trud, trudged the way back home, thinking on the words of the Lord. The Lord had said to him, had pointed out to him one thing, one thing that was missing in his particular life. There were other things, but there was one main thing, one main obstruction to him coming to know the Lord, coming to know salvation in his life. One thing was keeping him out of heaven. And the Lord put his finger on that one thing, which was uh, his riches and uh, his great possessions that he had. And this is what we're going to be thinking about tonight, friends, how one thing in our life could keep us also from God, from being reconciled with God, from knowing Him. One thing, just one, may keep you out of heaven. One thing, just one, may withhold God's blessing from you. One thing, just one, may distance you from eternal salvation. Well, friends, let's look at this young man. And firstly, we have to say, really, there's so much to commend, uh, that is commendable about this young man. Now, when you look at the other uh, Gospels where the same account is mentioned, uh, we, and we take it all together, we see that he was young, a young man, he was a rich man, and he was also a ruler in the synagogue. Young at that time could be anyone up to the age of uh, 40 or so. So we don't know exactly how old he was. His riches, well, he, he would have had, uh, no doubt, a, a good bank account, you could say, but he probably also had a good amount of land. Perhaps he'd inherited it uh, from uh, his parents, but he also had a great amount here of material possessions. His rise to the top, he rose to be a ruler. Very unusual for such a young man to be a ruler in the synagogue. They'll, usually they were more on the elderly side, but here already uh, he has reached uh, uh, 
to the top of being a ruler. And uh, so there must have been something in this man, this young, young as he is, uh, to commend uh, him. And indeed, there were a number of things. Let me mention uh, just a few. Uh, he was, you could say, a moral man. He was a person who was conscientious about keeping the Lord's commandments. He didn't take it lightly. He didn't disregard the commandments. He didn't forget about it and say, uh, that's, not, that's not the rule for me. This was the rule for his life. Look at what he says uh, here uh, in verse uh, 20. When the Lord told him about the, the different commandments from the second table of the law, he answered in verse 20 unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. He's not just saying that. He's not being proud. This was a young man who genuinely felt that he was keeping all the commandments and he was doing uh, God's, uh, God's will. This is how he felt. No doubt he must have come from a good family where his mother and his father taught him the law of God and instructed him when he was young. I'm surmising, but it must have happened because he, he, he adopts that as he goes on in life. They taught him these things and he made it uh, his uh, rule for life. He sought to be kind to other people. He sought to respect other people and their property. He was very careful in how he handled things that had been given to him. He respected people's uh, authority. He submitted himself to those who were higher than him. He didn't rebel against authority. He was a good man in that, in that sense. And he had these principles uh, in him right from very young. And even now that he's in this elevated state as a ruler and he has all the riches about him, he's still keeping conscientious about keeping the commandments. He's a regular in the synagogue. He's a churchgoer. Every, every time uh, he is there, hardly ever uh, missing a meeting. And we could also say about this young man, he's a very sincere man. He's a genuine person. He doesn't, he, look, he says here, I have all these commandments have I observed from my youth. He didn't just home in on one or two of them, the ones that were easy for him to keep, and the other ones which he disliked, he put to one side. He did actually miss one, which we'll come to. But generally speaking, uh, he's, he's, he, he's conscientious about keeping all these uh, commandments. And uh, this is his concern. So he's not focusing on just one or two. He's made a point of keeping all these, he says, have I observed from my youth. Well, we have to commend him, isn't it? For doing these things and for seeking to live like this. Here indeed is a very fine man, the kind of person that you would like to have as your neighbor, <laughs> the kind of person that you, do, you would quite willingly have as your son-in-law, the kind of person that you want as a colleague, the kind of person that a company wants as their employee. They want this kind of a man because he is all these things. He's reliable, he's trustworthy, he's dependable, he's conscientious, he's honest, he won't mess about. They like uh, uh, this kind of a person. We all do, don't we? Well, he was a young man, also we could say, who was earnest about spiritual things. Here we read, he came running to Jesus. When, uh, when he, Jesus was gone forth, 
uh, in verse 17, there came one running. He was running and knelt before him and asked him that question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus had already left town. He was on his way. He was on, already on the road uh, heading towards Jerusalem. And he has gone out of the town now, th this young man, and he's chasing, as it were, after him. This is an opportunity for him, and he's keen, he's eager to um, uh, have this uh, meeting uh, with Christ. And he uses all his youthful energy to run after the, the Savior. This was an opportunity for him he couldn't pass by, and he greatly desired to meet with the Lord. And then when he got the Lord's attention, he didn't just ask any question, uh, but you know, there's some people who ask all sort of time-wasting questions. People came to, to Christ and they asked him questions to, te to test him, to cause him to, uh, to trap him in his words. Not this man. This young man was not like that. He wasn't a time-waster. He was a genuine seeker. He wanted to know the answer. He has a spiritual question. He wasn't like that man who came to Christ and said, Lord, uh, come intervene in my family affairs. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance uh, between us. He didn't go into, uh, into in, come with this kind of a, an issue. No, this young man asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This is what, uh, what was on his mind. He was rich, but he was concerned about his soul. He was rich, but he was concerned about the next life. He knew that he, that he had an immortal soul, a soul that doesn't die. He knew that one day in the future, all the dead will be raised up again and will be given new bodies, resurrection bodies. He knew that. He believed in the world to come, and he wanted to have a, a part of it. He wanted to be uh, in that uh, eternal, uh, heavenly place which God uh, spoke of. He wanted to have a place there. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Oh, friends, what a man. Uh, young, uh, keen, eager, earnest about spiritual things. This is every pastor's dream to have this kind of a person in the church. To have a young man, to have a young woman who is uh, wanting and asking these kind of questions. Oh, the minister of God wishes that every young person was like that. So many young people, sadly, are so enamored with the world. They're not thinking about their soul. They're not thinking about heaven and hell. They're not taking time to ask these important questions. They're only asking other questions. How can I make it in life? How can I be successful? How can I achieve fame, maybe? And that perhaps that's uh, in their minds. But they're not asking these humble questions of other people. How can I obtain eternal life? Oh, friends, this is uh, what uh, is commendable about this particular man, uh, one who is concerned about his soul and about his eternal destiny. What's going to happen to me, he's saying, after I die? I need to know. I need to have this matter settled in, in my soul now. I want to know now whether I have it or not. But another remarkable thing 
about this young man is, as you can see, his humility. He is a man who comes and he kneels before the Lord. He is a ruler in the synagogue. But here he is kneeling before the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's teachable because he's asking the Lord a question. He doesn't come and say, I know everything. <laughs> you, you, you know, I've just come to say hello to you and just to make you acquainted. I'm a ruler in the synagogue. It's not like that. Some people are like that, you know. They just want you to know who they are. It's not him. A, this is a sincere man. He, he kneels before a, a, a carpenter. He, and uh, he asks uh, this, uh, the Lord uh, this, uh, this uh, question. He's sincere. He's humble. Riches hasn't gone to his head. Riches hasn't made him proud or his position at the top. He's still willing to learn from other people. So friends, there is so much really to applaud in this young man, so much uh, to congratulate. And perhaps that's one reason why we read in verse 21 that when Jesus beheld him, and that means he, he stopped and he gazed at him for a, a short while. When Jesus beheld him, he loved him. He loved him. He saw the sincerity. He saw the transparency in this young man. And he felt for him. He felt a sincere uh, love for him. He saw uh, an uh, uh, amicableness uh, and an amiableness both in, in, in him, in this young man, and in beholding him, he loved him. There was something about him, even uh, this young man, still in his sins, yet he had uh, something, uh, the sincerity and so on, which caused the Lord to admire it and to be attracted by it. But then secondly, friends, though he had much to commend him, we also have to say that he had a number of deficiencies. There were things that he was lacking in, and his self-knowledge, certain things he wasn't fully aware of. He had a shallow understanding of the law and of the commandments of God. He knew the commandments, he was aware of them, but he limited those commandments. His understanding of those commandments was only as far as the external, forbid, uh, uh, external for, uh, forbidding of it. That's as he didn't think about the spiritual aspect of the law. The law of God not only forbids the external acts, but it also forbids internal uh, effects, uh, the internal way, the way we think. Our thoughts, our intentions, our motives, it applies to every area of our life, not just what we do on the outside. And he hadn't grasped this thing. So when it, when it says, thou shalt not kill, well, he, had, he could say, oh, I haven't committed murder. But the law is not, not saying, not only you shouldn't commit murder, but it also forbids hatred in the heart, animosity in the heart, and in the thoughts towards other people. When the law said, thou shalt not commit adultery, that wasn't just forbidding of the external act, it also forbids impure lust and unclean imaginations. Even a look of lust uh, is uh, considered a breaking of this commandment, and he hadn't grasped it. He had only a superficial understanding of, of the commandments. 
and uh, this is how uh, he thought. And uh, he, uh, if he'd really understood it, oh friends, he would never have said, I've observed all this from my youth. Then another fault with him was that uh, he thought that he could obtain uh, salvation by his own efforts. He was, after all, a very capable young man, and he'd achieved a lot already so much. Well, why not salvation? Why not eternal life? I can obtain even this. What do I have to do uh, to obtain eternal life? I've been successful in everything I've put my hand to. I can be successful in this area of spirituality and pleasing God. I can do it. He, he thought he could do it, but that was a big mistake on his part and in his thinking. Man can do nothing to contribute to his salvation. It's by grace. It's a free gift from God. Always that's how God gives it. God never gives it to anyone as a reward, but only as a gift. But then also we can say about him, he didn't realize who he was talking to. He came and he said to Christ, Good Master, what shall I do? That's how he approached Christ. That's how he thought of Christ. He used the words pretty glibly. Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord had to uh, correct him in verse 18. Jesus, or rather, jolted his thinking. Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. And what Christ, in effect, is saying here is, uh, have, haven't you heard about the many miracles that I have done? Christ is trying to make him see that he is more than just a good master who should be respected, that he is divine, that he is God. And he's, he's, he's jolting him, he's saying, Don't you, aren't you aware of all the miracles that I have done which confirm who I am and who I claim to be? That thousands have been healed, that the blind have, are seeing, the lame are walking, the dead have been raised. Have you heard such things? Can a man do such things? This is the work of God. Have you not heard these things? You should realize a little bit more who you are talking to, that uh, he is more than just a man. You are talking to somebody who is the Son of God, who is uh, God himself, who is divine. This he didn't realize in his approach. One more thing about this young man, and uh, this is by his own words, he had no assurance in his heart. Though he felt and said, I've kept the, the commandments, I've observed them, still he lacked assurance in his heart. He didn't know and, and for sure and with certainty that he was going to glory, that he had had eternal life. He still, in another gospel we are told, he said to the Lord, what lack I yet? What lack I yet? He, he before the Lord said, one thing you lack, I lack, you lack. He had already said, what lack I yet? He, he, he knew something was missing. He knew he hadn't reached, and he uh, felt that he wasn't quite there spiritually in, with the Lord. And so he, he had this, uh, no assurance rather, about his state before God. Now friends, though we, he has these deficiencies, uh, one could say, and I dare say, that, that they could be 
quite easily remedied. One could sit down with this young man and you could point out to him and say, look, the law goes beyond just these externals. And you could teach him the spirituality of the law and he's a teachable man, he could pick it up. And you could teach him that, look, salvation is not by what you do, but it's by grace. You need to understand this and he could understand it. And he could point out, he could point out to him more clearly the deity of Christ and he would be able to grasp it. These were things that he probably could have grasped. There were deficiencies, but he could have been taught these things. But there was one thing which had a hold and a power and a grip over him that was much stronger than any of these other things. And that's what the Lord points out to him. That's what the Lord puts his finger on. In verse 21, uh, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions his heart was set on his great possessions his affections were entangled uh, in the things that he had and in that lifestyle that he had and that he was enjoying, and he couldn't give it up. He loved his rich life. He enjoyed his luxurious things. He loved uh, day after day perhaps to go and see that land that belonged to him that was under his name and from which he was raking in money as a landlord or through the crops and other means and he, uh, he delighted to do these things. And he, was taking, he took much uh, pleasure in these things. And all, that, all the, that comfortable lifestyle that he was enjoying, perhaps even the respect that he was gaining. And now the Lord is saying, give it up. Give it up. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor. And he's struggling. He can't do it. He can't cut ties with these things. This is his idol. This is the one commandment he hasn't really kept, and that is covetousness. And this is his idol. His, his, after, his heart and his affections are in, the, in, in his uh, material things, in his material possessions, and he cannot give it up. Here he is. The Lord uh, brings him to the crossroads and places before him a choice. If you want eternal life, as you say, you really do, well, you've got to give up this part of your life. This thing is your idol. This thing is your God. It's holding on to you. You can't love something so much and have eternal life. God must come first. If you want God, if you want uh, to have Him, you have to give up these things. He, God must be first in your affections. You must leave all those things sell them all, uh, distribute to the poor, then come, uh, take up your cross and follow me. But he couldn't do it as far as we see. And he leaves the Lord sad at that saying. He went away grieved. There's no happy ending to this story. We wish there was. We wish we could say, oh, he rejoiced and he gave up everything. But we don't know. Perhaps he did. He did. We hope he did. But we don't know what happened to the young man. He was left at that crossroads. But as, he, as we leave it, he goes away from the Lord because he cannot give up his riches. Oh, friends, one thing, just one, may keep you from Christ. 
Now, not all of us are called to give up everything as this young man was, but it may be something else. This was the thing that was particular for this young, rich young man, his riches. But for you, it may be something different. Uh, something, some other idol is affecting your repentance. You're repenting before the Lord, but you're not repenting of this particular idol in your life. You want the Lord, and you're, you are, you're crying out to Him, but you're holding on to something in particular. And the Lord is putting His finger on it, and He calls you as well to give it up. Perhaps you're at a, a crossroads. And uh, as the Lord uh, is uh, calling, uh, you, uh, calling you to follow Him, you've heard His call. You know that He will uh, uh, forgive you all your sins if you go to Him wholeheartedly. You know that He will give you a clear conscience. He will give you a new heart, a new life if you will go after Him. That's His, 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 his call. That's His offer to you. But then the, on the other hand, you've got the tug of the world the attraction of the world. The world is calling to you too. The world is offering you ease and pleasure and money and fame and success and you have uh, a worldly lifestyle free from trouble, they say to you. Oh, you'll have a wonderful life. Everything will be tremendous. The world says, if you follow me. And already it's got into your mind. It's, it's got a hold of your affections and you're entangled. You, you're, you're dreaming, you're thinking about that particular lifestyle and you can't let it go, perhaps. Which one will you choose? Christ or that particular lifestyle, friends? And the Lord says, you can't be divided. You can't have both. You can't have the world and Christ. You must have one or the other. Which one will you have? If you want Christ and you want forgiveness and you want eternal life and eternal happiness, you must give up the other. Perhaps the one thing, friends, is one friend or is one companion in who, who you uh, have in life. Perhaps he's been a good friend, uh, somebody you've known for a long time, but he's leading you astray. He's leading you down the wrong path. Perhaps he takes you uh, uh, into drunkenness. Perhaps he takes you into unclean things. Perhaps he takes you into criminal things. I, I don't know. But if you have such a friend, perhaps a one friend, you don't want to cut ties of, with him, but you have to. Perhaps you have to. If you want the Lord, you cannot have both these things. You cannot have the friendship and uh, at the same time have the Lord. You cannot walk uh, with, uh, with the Lord and yet at the same time walk in a sinful way. It must be a wholehearted commitment to Him. For some others, the one thing lacking is an unwillingness to yield their lives to Christ. That's what this young man is called to do. Come, young man, give up everything. Yield your life over to me. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to take up his cross. And there are, perhaps that's you, friend. You, you still want to retain uh, control over your life. You, you love what you've heard about Christ. You want forgiveness. You want salvation. You want heaven. But you also want to retain control over what you do. And you don't, like, you don't want him to tell you where to go and what to do. You're withholding uh, your, your will from Christ. 
You're, you're reluctant to say, to call him Lord. You're reluctant to, to say, Lord, I, I hand over the keys of my life to you. Be my Lord and my Savior. Be both these things to me. I'm happy. I'm ready to go wherever you tell me to go, to do whatever you tell me to do. Lord, I'm your servant. You're reluctant to do that because you still want to be the master of your own life. Well, that's a hindrance, friends. That will hinder you from experiencing and knowing the Lord's blessing. That will be a flaw in your repentance. Or perhaps you're afraid. The one thing perhaps that concerns you is that you're afraid what other people will say about you. Perhaps also this young man was thinking like that. He's afraid, well, if I follow Christ, what will all my uh, religious friends say about me? What will all the community say about me? I've given up everything to follow Christ. What names will they call me? Or perhaps that's you, friend, that uh, you want to follow Christ on the one hand, but you fear, you're afraid. What will all my friends say? Oh, I'll be laughed at, I'll be ridiculed, I'll be sidelined by them. Oh, uh, I, I'm not sure I'm prepared for them. These friends, perhaps they want Christ to carry the cross for them for salvation, but they're reluctant to carry their own cross in life as Christ is here calling him and uh, uh, calling us to do. Friends, one thing could be lacking, one thing like this could keep us from knowing the Lord. And I'll say this as, as a friend of yours, just to point these things out to you. Oh, that nothing may come in your way. Oh, friends, let me close with these words. Is this you? Is, is one thing keeping you uh, from salvation? When you weigh up the world uh, and its temporary pleasures against eternal life, oh, it's easy to give up the world. If only you catch a sight of how wonderful and glorious it is to have spiritual life and contact with God uh, now in this world and in the world to come, eternal life. Oh, what is the world offering? It's nothing, really, in comparison uh, to uh, eternal life. Isn't the smile of God, friends, uh, upon you? Isn't the friendship of Christ worth 10,000 friends, 100,000 friends of, in this life? Oh, it is. Look at those who have submitted their lives uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are they complaining? <laughs> Are they grumbling? Are they saying, oh, Christ is a hard taskmaster. He's an austere man. I wish I'd never submitted myself to him. I wish I'd never given my life over to him. No, they're, they're willing, his, his willing servants. They're his glad servants. They, they say, oh, their one regret is they, that they didn't give their life to Christ sooner. They wish they'd done it earlier. They're glad. Oh, friends, think of what you are doing if you go away from the Lord. If you go away sad from, like this man, you're forfeiting eternal life. You're doing harm to your own soul. You're saying goodbye to forgiveness. You are self-harming spiritually. You're committing spiritual suicide by doing such a thing, by going away from Him. Why? My friends, no one in their right mind uh, would do that. No one in their right mind would say goodbye to eternal happiness. 
But that's what you're doing when you hang on to one thing. It's madness, friends. It's madness. If you were drowning in the ocean and somebody throws out a life buoy to you, wouldn't it be madness to push it away? That's what you're doing. If you like, like chocolate, but you've been told this particular chocolate is a poison chocolate, would you take it just because the initial taste is delightful? It's going to kill you. It's madness to take it. Will you refuse the help of a fireman? There you are. You've had a, a crash and the, uh, you're trapped in your car. You, you can't get out. You, you need help and uh, you need to be rescued. You need an emergency treatment and a fireman and the ambulance crew are there to help you and you refuse the help. You say, don't help me. Don't do anything. It's madness. Oh, friends, don't be like that. This is what, uh, this is what uh, it means to come to Christ. Come to Christ is the best thing you could do. Don't let one single thing keep you from, uh, from Him. Don't go away from Christ. Don't choose sin over the Lord Jesus Christ. Choose Christ. Choose to take up His cross. Choose to yield up your life over to Him. Choose to uh, give up those, uh, those things that are keeping you from Him. And if you're struggling, well, the Lord is gracious. The Lord will help you. It's not all on you. If this young man had just said, uh, continued kneeling and said, Lord, it's difficult. Uh, it's hard to do, do this. The Lord, help me, Lord. The Lord would have aided him. And you can do the same. If you're struggling with some particular thing in your life, perhaps I've mentioned it, perhaps it's something else, take it to the Lord and say, Lord, it's hard. It's hard. But you can do it for me. You can change me. This is what I want, Lord, even from you. Give me a new heart. Give me the power to come to you. Give me the power to uh, get rid of this thing that is uh, keeping me from you. This is it, friends. This is what the Lord uh, wants us to do. This is uh, just to put into our minds. Let our repentance be genuine. Come to Him, friends. He desires to bless you. He desires to make known His mighty love to you, to be a friend to you in this life and in the world to come, to be your God, to be the one who will provide for you, to be the one who will take care of you, who will keep His eye upon you constantly, the one who will hear your prayers when you cry to Him. Oh, the Savior has come to die on Calvary's cross to make this possible for us. Come to Him. Let nothing hold you back. Come in repentance. Come in faith, trusting in Him. Come yielding your life over to Him. And He will definitely hear your cry and He will give you eternal life. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our gracious God and Father, we thank you again for all these encounters that we read of in the Scriptures. And Lord, such a help they are to us all, and we pray that uh, nothing may uh, hinder us, that there may be no lack, not even one thing that uh, is lacking in us. Oh Lord, help us, we, we cry, and grant that there may be no barrier to us coming to you and finding uh, you and being saved by you.
hear our prayer and grant your blessing to each one. We ask in our Saviour's name. Amen. Let's uh, close by singing our final hymn, which is number uh, 412. Come, O thou all-victorious Lord, 412.